anyway, so uh, let's see here. Yep, okay, we're good to go. Uh, so today is Friday, October 12th, 2012. Welcome, everybody, to Think Relevance, the podcast. Today we are here once again with uh, Rich Hickey. Thanks for coming on, Rich. Sure. Um, so, Rich, you know the drill here, which is that uh, I get to ask you to pick a song for the uh, opening music here. Oh, boy. Uh, I didn't think about this. Okay. How about um, Baroness, Raise on Pinion? Okay. Is that the title of the song, or is that a yeah. band, too? Because I don't know the Baroness band. This is the band. Okay. I'll, here, I'll put it in the chat here. Cool. Oops, Don't worry about it. I'll get it from you later. Not a problem. Um, so the the thing that uh, okay, cool. Raise on pin. I got it. All right, cool. Um, so the thing I wanted to have you on to talk about today, um, in particular, was is a uh, uh, codec, which um, is this really interesting open source library that uh, you and Stu released on I think it was Wednesday, so just a mm-hmm. couple days ago, um, and uh, it's been getting a lot of uh, excitement, which is maybe not surprising when you go look at it because it's pretty cool. <laughs> um, and I thought, hey, you know, we should just get together now while, uh, you know, uh, the interest is still very high and while people are still wondering about it and have a chat about it. Um, so I wonder if you wouldn't mind terribly kicking us off by just uh, giving us the overview of what of what Codec is and what it does. Uh, sure. So the idea behind Codec is uh, everybody's working with text files in Git and... Um, you know, it's a great benefit, right? Git is a fantastic tool, um, does a good job of versioning content and sort of sticks to that job where content is files and uh, uses content-based addressing and keeps everything. So those are all things that I think are great characteristics. <laughs> but it specifically <clears throat> tries to stay out of the business of um, determining what happened, except as a derived thing. So instead of storing diffs, it creates diffs later um, by looking at the trees and comparing trees and comparing files, which I also think is sound. Um, but because it's supposed to work with any content, and uh, most of that content has in common that it's text, you know, its scope is sort of limited to the kinds of things you can do with text. And the idea behind Codec is to let people keep working the way they're working, right? You know, use the editor that you like, use the tools that you like, use Git, um, and to uh, take what Git produces, which is essentially a database under the hood, and um, clone it into an actual database uh, that gives you some more declarative, you know, um, ability to query. So that's the first thing. So sort of just take the Git model and move it into a database that lets you uh, query it with a declarative query language. So that okay. case is Datomic, and the query language in this case is Datalog. Okay. And the second thing Codec does is sort of um, take the Git model and say, um, this is a good model. It's about trees of trees and files, blobs they call them, but you know, it's a tree structure um, that in Git sort of ends at the file. And to say about that, that that the file is not really the way that we think about our programs, right? When we go to work, we don't think about, you know, changing files and I'm going to go to work on my file and work on a line. I mean, there's a joke in the blog post about that. You know, if you talk to each other about your work in terms of files and lines, people would think you were crazy. Right. Because we have a whole other set of concepts 
um, that we use uh, to talk about our programs. And most of them have some pretty uh, much finer granularity than the file. Um, at least you'd move down from the file to function definitions or class definitions or method definitions, depending on your language. But something like that is more the unit of granularity we think about and talk about changing our programs. And so when we go into a file to change it, we're not really looking to you know, make line 27 better. Uh, we're looking to make the function that contains line 27 better by changing line 27. Uh, and wouldn't it be nice if uh, we could talk about what had happened in Git um, at the level and at the granularity that we talk and think about our programs? And that's the next aspect of Codec. It's just sort of it takes the Git model and extends it down below the file. So just like Git looks at a directory and says, it doesn't say I'm done. It says this directory has, has stuff in it, and the stuff that's in a directory are entries that point at other files. We similarly can look at a file and treat it as a directory whose contents are these program constructs, which I call codecs. So it's a, the name of the project and the name of these things is the same. Where you could think about that as being a, a nickname for code quantum. Ah. Um, and uh, and this this is now language dependent, right? So it depends on your language how you would divide up the file into code quanta. Um, but but for almost any language, there will be a way to do that. And once you do that, then you start treating files as if they were trees, and the Git tree just keeps going down, just another level. Um, and a lot of the principles behind Git still apply. So for instance. Um, when you edit a file, let's say you insert some code in a file, um, you end up um, displacing the things that followed it in the resulting file. Uh, but were you to look at the file at the granularity of um, code units or codecs, you would see that the same function now that was at line 60 is now at line 100. And so you do the same thing. We do the same thing in codec that Git does, which is that we use content-based addressing for codecs. So now we'll look at the, the text of a, of a function and give that a shot. And if we ever see that chunk of text again, we'll know it's the same chunk and we won't make a new entry for it because the shot will be the same. And in this way, you can track um, functions moving around through files. So you know, if you have a file with 100 functions in it and you modify it 100 times, it's not as if you modified 100 functions 100 times. Um, chances are good you modified um, several of those functions more than once and many of them never again. And now you could see that because the history of the function is independent of the history of the file. Right. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, obviously that enables a ton of scenarios um, and I have some specific questions about that, but I, I wonder in, in terms of continuing on the background, did, so why did you guys write this? I mean, did you have some particular need, say, for Datomic, that you wanted to figure something out about the code, or, or what was your motivation? Um, I, I wrote it because I uh, this is my question when I'm working on programs. If I look at a function, my biggest question is always, what was the last definition of this function? And uh, you know, going to Git and the file level to answer that question is very unsatisfying. Right. I'd like to see all the versions of a function. 
Um, that's what I always want. And, you know, going back and looking at diffs and, you know, line numbers, it's just not at all co-aligned with what I want. So for me, um, this is all, all I ever want is to be able to talk about um, programs in terms of um, the units we write them in. Um, so it's been a long-standing itch of mine, and that's what I scratched by writing codec. Um, as far as Datomic goes, uh, well, it's a great fit. Right? Mm -hmm. um, obviously, Git and Datomic have similar views of the world. Um, and uh, using Datalog is a great way to manipulate trees. So one of the problems you have with, with uh, Git, like, for instance, you can, you can get nicer... APIs for Git that sort of expose the underlying model directly to your program. But at that point, you're still in a tree walking scenario, right? These are all big trees. You have to do tree diffs to find out what's changed. I mean, Git does not track what's changed. I mean, it gives you the impression that it, it does, but it does only by a derivation. And so, um, you know, even if you had an API directly for Git and you didn't have to go through the, uh, through the command line, um, it's still a very imperative kind of job. And the beautiful thing is that with uh, a query language like Datalog, you can turn all those tree walks. I mean, there's an example at the bottom of the blog post, but essentially it's eight lines of Datalog uh, to build um, the rules that, given a commit, can find all the files, given a commit, can find all the codecs now, given any codec, can find all the commits that contain it, and given a file, find all the commits that contain it. And those are four big tree walking jobs, and it's eight lines of data log. And you're done with them forever. And you can share them as subroutines, you know, sort of the way that's the way rules work in data log. They're like views um, with other richer queries that would, for instance, um, give you the modification counts on functions to find which out, you know, find out which ones have the most churn is an interesting question. Yeah, I actually was looking at the. I was looking over the blog post once again, and I, I saw exactly the queries you're talking about. And um, uh, you know, I think someone on Twitter mentioned that uh, you know, data log may be a little bit unfamiliar to many people. But I think once you once you learn a little bit about it and look at it, it's like, okay, <laughs> yes, that is that is a really nice way to walk over a tree, and and you can imagine um, doing exactly the things you said and many more. Um, so I I think it's pretty cool. Um, uh, but I, but I want to come back to the motivation a little bit because uh, I know you said you had these questions that you were trying to answer about your code. So, have you guys been using uh, Codec internally? Do you have tooling? Or, like, do you, is this part of your process already? Or no, no. I mean, I started writing it um, probably two weeks ago. Okay. So now that it's out, you are planning to, you know, the next time you have a question about. Uh, about something in Datomic or some other piece of code that you're writing, you'll you, you, you this will be something that you'll pull out and use. Oh, absolutely! As soon as it existed, I poured closure and Datomic into it. Okay, great. And so that actually raises one of the other questions I ask. You note in the in the blog post that there's no reason uh, because of the way Git works. Um, there's no reason you can't keep multiple Git repositories in the same Datomic database. Correct. Uh, so now, the question I had was, given that um, Datomic lets you do joins across databases, is there any particular reason or advantage that you would, say, pour you know, a whole bunch of uh, Git repos into the same Datomic database, or does it just really how you, however you feel like doing it, or what's the advantages there? Um, so I'd like to just delay this question for one 
minute sure and just talk about the other side of codec because it's related to this which is that in addition to extending the git model down uh, codec extends it upwards right so in git um, a repo is is sort of an island you know when you look at the tree um, for a commit there's no path to it i mean it's a, it's a presumed root and um and therefore you can't you know uh talk about more than one repo at the same time unless they sort of had the same basis because the file system perspective on the two is both they both contain roots um and probably both contain directories called source uh so what codec does is it superimposes over the notion of a repo um it's it's its identity uh trying to use um you know, like origin repo uris to make a a world view of of repos that allows you to distinguish them and it's that that allows you to dump more than one repo into the same database and that's a powerful thing because i i think that one of the one of the uses of codec will be to actually pour a whole bunch of libraries into into a database and ha have somebody say um where where show me some usages of of this function i'm thinking about using it in my project i wonder how other libraries use it um or i wonder you know i'm thinking about using this library i wonder you know how much churn there is in its in its functions or um <laughs> function that i'm using and it calls three other library functions and um, my i i went on vacation when i came back my my function was broken i know it didn't change so something it depends on must have changed um what are, what are the histories of those things right or questions like uh you know i know I know people were using this library a lot a year ago. Has that changed, right? Getting into the kind of the history aspects of it. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. So, so that that's sort of the motivation for going up, and and then the question is is the one that you just raised, which is, um, there's two ways to do that, right? Datomic allows you to query explicitly across databases by providing more than one database as an argument to a query, and this is a really powerful feature. Um, you know, query, uh, queries take databases as arguments. They're not implicitly run inside the scope of a database. Uh, so you now have a choice, right? Given, let's just say, Clojure and Datomic, um, I could either import them both as separate Datomic databases, um, or I could import them into the same. And so why would you choose one over the other? Um, if you have separate named databases, then when you want to uh, ask a query, you need to name them. In other words, you need to know where you're looking for the information. Mm. A lot of times you will, and that will be completely suitable. Um, on the other hand, let's say we'll take one of the scenarios I just described where you're you're trying to figure out if there's a good library that does something like what you want to do. If, if every library were imported into independent datomic databases, let's say every closure contrib library or every, you know, closure repo on Git, uh, was independent, um, you wouldn't know of which libraries to ask the question um, explicitly. Uh, but if they were combined, then you can ask the question and it will implicitly run against whatever's there and then tell you which repos. So um, it's akin to the fact that uh, uh, attributes in, in Datomic are programmable. Uh, that well, by putting the repos into the same database, the repo portion becomes programmable as opposed to explicit and external to the query. 
So that's the advantage of putting them together. I can definitely see cases where you would not want them to be together. Um, if they're together, it can make it um, another step to sort of filter. Like if, I, if I'm really only interested in one um, code base uh, and I've merged a bunch in a single database, now I have to add another level. I mean, it's not, it's not a big challenge, but it does add another level of filtering that's required to make sure you get answers only for the code base you're interested in. Right. I think both are possible, and that's what was important. Um, and now people have a choice. And But those are the trade-offs. Okay. Well, that makes total sense to me. I hadn't thought of that at all. Um, that's very cool. It's, it's funny. I actually was flipping through uh, Twitter right before this. I was you know, trying to see what other people are interested in about Kodak, uh, try to ask some of the questions for them. Um, and uh, the one I'm looking at right now uh, is very appropriate to, you know, just hearing you talk about it, which goes like this. It's by uh, Andreas Pauly, who's a Pauly on Twitter. He says, damn it, Rich, when must I learn all the cool stuff you release? <laughs> which is, you know, I think a feeling a lot of us share, which is, you know, this is yet another awesome um, thing you've come up with. But I'll stop gushing now. Um, so I, I want to, I'm curious because, you know, when I was at a closure meetup uh, just the other night and we were talking about Codec, I said, hey, you know, I, I might get a chance to talk to Rich about this. Are there any questions that you guys want to ask? And the one that came first to people's minds was, um, you know, what languages are supported now? And, you know, if that's a small list, how, how does that list get bigger? What, what needs to happen? So the, the only language that's supported right now is, is Clojure. And, and, um, and I, I'll talk a little bit about the architecture so you can see how, how, how it goes together. Um, because supporting other languages uh, is actually very straightforward and small. Um, so if you look at the job Codec does, you can divide it up into Git importation and analysis. Those are the two, two sides. And Git importation is the same for everybody. right? We're going to walk your commits, walk the trees, find the trees and files, and put all that information into a datomic database. doesn't matter what language you're using. That's a solved problem at this point. Then when you look at analysis, um, you can also break that apart into sort of the driver part of analysis, which is determining um, which stuff should be analyzed by which analyzer, and which has already been seen by the analyzer and which hasn't, and um, doing the analysis um, capturing the results of that as transactions and issuing those transactions. Because um, Datomic is all data-driven, a lot of that job is a one-time job. In other words, there is already an analysis driver. It asks the analyzer if it has any schema associated with it that needs to be installed, and that's all incrementally done. Um, it will install that on behalf of the analyzer, and it sort of boils the entire analysis job down to, I'm going to hand you a bunch of files you've not seen before, and you're going to give me back transaction data for them. You're not going to issue transactions or even talk to Datomic. It's strictly a data-to-data -data function to be an analyzer. Okay. Uh, and then so the analyzers, they can be re really simple to start. And in fact, even the closure one that's that's it shipped with is not a, it's not a piece of rocket science. <laughs> it's, <laughs> straightforward uh, it only currently does the top level it just partitions and finds the top level codex and figures out which ones are definitions and what their names are in other words what their definitions of from the programmatic standpoint in other words from a programmatic 
identifier standpoint. This is a definition of, you know, closure.core slash, you know, function name. Uh, so it would be straightforward, for instance, to make one for Java. And uh, one of the proposals on the wiki is just to do that with something like Spoon or Eclipse's um, uh, AST processing tools, which can easily do this kind of a job. Um, so I'm hopeful that we'll get other analyzers in place, but it's as simple as uh, I give you a file and you give me back um, transaction data and the format of which is uh, is up to you because you know the analyzers extend the schema um, and the base part of the analysis is all done by the driver and the, the part of the transaction that finds codecs and uh, determines how codecs are stored and uh, not finds them determines how codecs are stored is all part of the driver so forward so is there some, I mean, is there some, com I haven't studied the schema, is there some commonality in the schema that all all codecs, I mean, presumably a codec has information like uh, an offset into a particular file. Um, are there other parts of the model that are common that would be the same across languages, or is it is it really going to be very language specific? So there is, that, yeah, right, so there's the offset into the file, right, there's a, <clears throat> there's a delimiting of the chunk of uh, the file that constitutes the, the code segment. Um, that's common. Um, and then the other thing, uh, and, and, and the design is specifically oriented around not trying to make all languages uh, be the same. That's not a generifying thing. Um, instead, uh, the only thing it tries to encourage is, that, is the relationship between a codec and a programmatic name. So it works best with languages that have namespaces, and in particular, if they have global namespaces. In other words, namespaces whose root you know, starts with the internet, um, which is true for, say, Java. Right? Mm -hmm. if, you, if you adopt the, the naming convention for packages in Java, you end up with the ability to globally, uniquely name you know, a method of a class in a package, in a namespace, right? It's, it's just all... It goes all the way down like URIs do. And so the idea is to associate um, a codec with a programmatic identifier like that and with a semantic. So you say, um, this, this codec is about this programmatic name. And the semantic of it being about it is that it is a definition, for instance, as distinct from, say, a use. Right? So if I call a function, I can say this codec is a call to this global name. If I'm defining that function, I can say this is a definition of that. And that much stuff, I think, is pretty generic. Um, and anything beyond that, I would consider to be sort of analysis, um, analyzer specific, which is totally fine. Um, but if we do that part generically well, that means a lot more queries can be shared and a lot more top-level infrastructure could be shared. Okay. Um, so the other half of that question is then, um, uh, you know, if that's the how, the the other part is the who. Like, and you guys open source this. I don't. Does does that mean you're hoping that there'll be a community around this? And and if so, if I wanted to write, say, the OCaml uh, analyzer, uh, would I, you know, send a pull request or what? What should people do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Regular Git GitHub process pull requests. Um, it's uh, Eclipse public license. 
and um, GitHub issues, GitHub pull requests. Okay, cool, awesome. Uh, have you had any uh, anyone uh, approach you? I mean, it's been two days, but hey, it's the internet, so has anybody come and said, oh, I'm totally going to do one of these for Common Lisp or whatever? Uh, I haven't seen that yet. Um, you know, the, the only evidence I've got is uh, I think people have gotten to the point where they're running it and trying some queries. Um, so cool. I give a couple more days before they start writing analyzers. Yeah, there you go. There's a whole weekend in front of people. I'm going to try to get this podcast out later today. So, uh, but, you know, for anyone that hears this or has seen the blog post, maybe that'll be a little motivation. You you can be the first to implement the JavaScript uh, parser. I think that would make a lot of people happy. Yeah, I mean, again, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see how many languages can do this well. Um, obviously, a challenge for JavaScript will be namespaces. Right, right. So that that, that actually reminds me of, um, in an oblique way, of, of one of the other specific questions I had. Um, and I don't want to drill through the, the entire list of technical questions I have, but I think this one is maybe illustrative of, of some of the lower-level stuff. So thinking about um, the example you gave where I add a function, um, you know, say it's closure code and I add a function, um, to the middle of a file, um, presumably that shows up as a delta um, in terms of the offsets on every function that follows that one. Uh, is that correct? So what, what ends up happening is that um, uh, if you look at git trees, right, every time you change a directory, there's a new tree. And it's, a, it's the same analogous question. Wow, that new tree is going to have pointers to all the same files except the one file that changed. Uh, yeah, it is. And it's similar here. Um, the codecs themselves don't have the code in them. They're just pointers. They're pointers. They, they make a connection between a position in the file and the code segment, which is the actual thing that gets the SHA on it. It's like the blob. It's akin to the blob in Git. And the name, right? So they're this three-way pointer. And anytime you analyze a file, you'll get a new, completely new set of pointers of these codecs. But the codecs are really lightweight. They just say, this blob now appears at this position in this new file. Because to get it's a new file, right? The file has a new SHA. It's going to have a whole pile of new codecs, which just say, we found all the same old code, old code segments <clears throat> in new places. Um, so it's a new set of pointers. But okay. yes, get a completely new set of codec offsets. Um, but they'll point to the same um, code segments because the code segments will have the same SHAs as last time. So there is there is new information, but because there's something that ties those codecs together it, it, in terms of the query that I would write, it, it shouldn't introduce a whole bunch of noise unless I want to look for that information. Right. So you have very interesting um, connectivity across change. First of all, you have the actual code segments. So when you did an insert, the, 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 the actual text of the other code segments is the same. And so the codecs for them in the new file will point to the same code segments, the same SHAs and the same mini blobs, if you will. Um, so if you were to talk about mini blobs, you could say, you know, I have this chunk of code, where does it appear? In fact, it may appear in more than one file, which means somebody did a copy and paste job. Right, so that identity is independent, the identity of blobs. Just like the same file blob could appear in more than one directory in Git. It's exactly the same problem um, and the same model. Um, if you step up a level, you can also get continuity across those programmatic names. 
you can say, oh, I found a bunch of new codecs over time all about the same name. And that's what gives you that continuity of across definitional changes. Um, and again, the analogy there is to, you know, if you use the same name in the directory and had the same path, you could kind of figure it was the same file um, in the Git perspective. Um, so that that's that's the idea is that you do get those different views of, of continuity and no, you will not get churn. You will get new codecs, but it won't be about new things or about new chunks of text yet. Um, so your queries just will fold them down and say all these codecs are the same thing moving around. Gotcha. Okay. Um, well, I don't want to keep you too much longer. I'm sure we could talk about this for a long time, I, but I do, uh, for... Uh, we move on to, to close things down a little bit. I, there's a couple things I have to ask you about from the blog post that struck me. Uh, one is uh, there was a great uh, comment in there uh, that you wrote. Uh, you said, we can fight 1970s technology with more 1970s technology. Um, I, I just wonder if you could elaborate that for anybody that uh, that didn't get the references. Uh, well, I think I think what's really critical about Kodak, and we haven't sort of talked about the 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 consumption story from tooling um, is that uh, this is an effort that goes on. Obviously, for instance, IDEs do similar things internally. A lot of them don't have the history, but they'll do the analysis that you can have to definitions and things like that. Um, but all that work tends to be siloed. And an important point of Kodak and of Datomic in general is making a database that's really accessible to programs. And so when you look at Git or anything that sort of sits behind um, the Unix command line, um, in my opinion, you see something that is not highly programmable. I mean, the fact that you can pipe things around is sort of the minimum uh, definition of programmable, uh, that you, know, you can stream stuff from one thing to another. Um, but you know, in, in, in order to manipulate Git successfully from a program, you have to read a ton of documentation about how the, the uh, command line arguments work. And then on the flip side, you've got a parsed output of these things. And that's just not particularly programmable. I mean, just because you can write parses doesn't mean it's programmable. It's, it just means that's what you have to do. Um, so when I look at Git and I interact with Git um, through the command line interface, I see just a ton of pain. Um, and, uh, and then you also have the tree walk problem before, which, you know, even if you didn't use the command line, even if you had a, you're using JGit or something like that, you'd still end up with an interface to the trees um, that would leave you in a sort of imperative world of trying to deal with them. Uh, so the 70s, the first 70s technology is the Unix command line. And the second 70s technology is data log. And so by moving the same exact information, even if you don't get into the extensions to the Git model, just moving your Git model into a a database that you can query with data log means that tree walks turned into these simple recursive rules. And uh, I, that's a big win, in my opinion. And just an example of the kind of win you get by stepping up um, to this more declarative way of writing programs. Yeah, so the, the, the other part of that comment that I like is that um, I think it uh, brings up a sort of meta point that I've heard you talk about before around, um, you know, I think you could look at that as a, as a, you know, programmer of the of the 21st century and say, well, 1970s, that's pejorative, but you don't mean that at all, right? Like this is something that's been around and has been a good idea, and I, 
and I've, I've heard you say this before that you know that we don't we don't have as much respect for the past as we should oh yeah i mean almost everything has already been figured out um most most current work should be uh just mining the the great ideas people had already because a lot of smart people have thought about this stuff for a long time in fact one of the only one of the biggest problems is that a lot of the great ideas that they had were somewhat impractical due to the hardware back then and now are completely practical and feasible and fast and should be revisited you know the decision not to use some of this stuff uh, back then was based around performance limits of hardware that you know we're a million times more powerful today. Uh, we should get a grip on uh, the fact that this stuff is very useful and great ideas. Was there one thing in or several things, anything in particular that you looked at that um, uh, inspired Kodak that falls into that category? Well, I mean, Kodak is 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 you know, mostly datomic. Uh, you know, the, the, all that stuff inspired Datomic. Kodak is just a nice application of Datomic to a problem. Um, so it serves as a nice example app of, of that. But I'd say all the historical stuff inspired um, Datomic. And certainly I think Datalog is, is a great query language um, for programs in particular. Because the, the especially as evidenced in Datomic, Datalog programs are also data structures so it's easy to write programs that write queries for instance and uh, it's easy to consume the results of queries from programs um, which gets me to like the other objective of, of datomic because uh, it was sort of inspired by a conversation we had in the core meeting about how to um, how to modernize the approach the website takes to exposing information and dealing with change and and I, and I don't think you know editing websites or pages or text files in a in a static site is the way to convey information and make it accessible to programs and tools. I think databases are the way to do that. And um, so Codec is an example of that. I'm hopeful that it will serve as a backend for a variety of IDEs that already exist that they can say, you know, we can we can pull together here and back our stuff with codec and therefore you know expose this to the programmer wherever the programmer needs it whether it's trying to find a function in ide trying to debug um, trying to make choices about libraries trying to see or find examples of things trying to get documentation um, and then because you can share the codec part every ide gets that you know benefit so th that that actually leads me to one of the other questions that I ask you, which uh, is around last time that you and I talked on the podcast, you shared some thoughts about design and said that design is the the art of of taking things apart well. Um, is is so? You know, I, I'm building an IDE. Um, I think Codec is really awesome. Are there is there more than one thing in Codec where I could choose to use one piece and not the other? If you, if you, you know what I mean, like, is there, are there, are there bits and pieces there? Like, what are the atoms in, in, in codec? You mentioned um, there's uh, importation and analysis. Are, is, are the, is that all the way down, or is there, are there other bits? No, I mean, it's, it's, um, codec's very small, and the model is small. Um, I mean, it is an example of taking things apart, like Git is. Git is a good example of design by 
uh, minimizing what it takes on. I mean, it looks like it has a gazillion features, but at, at a design level, it doesn't. At a design level, it has a very um, straightforward model. Um, and so this is just sort of extend that model a little bit, uh, make it uh, co-aligned with the way you think about your programs. And, uh, and then you get data log. So from an IDE perspective, um, they can enrich the value by writing different queries, by writing different interfaces to queries, um, and things like that. Um, but the flip side is, unlike an IDE that might already provide nice UIs to its analysis results, um, if a programmer is faced with you know a question about their code base and their IDE doesn't like give them a nice you know graphical answer to that question, they can start they can write their own queries against the database because it's a it's an accessible programmable thing. It's not a hidden binary subcomponent or behind some gigantic you know framework with a like hundred classes and thousands of methods. You know these. Right. AST APIs are crazy complex, just crazy, considering the same information is available with this kind of approach or could be made available with this kind of approach. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I yeah, it's, it's, it is one of those ideas that I think, um, you know, I mean, you, you mentioned it's not a new idea, but at the same time, seeing it fresh like this, um, you know, it, it immediately sparks, I think, in a lot of people, um, ideas for what they could add. Um, the, the one thing I'm wondering, though, is, uh, you know, you know, you've said before, and I think that the docs might say, or you said on the list or something, that um, Datomic is not really a repository for lots and lots of large binary data, right? That's not really what it's meant to deal with. Now, neither is Git, obviously, but people tend to do that anyway. Um, sometimes, you know, they, they wind up doing that. Uh, is there... Are there any, like, how does Codec deal with um, uh, binary data in a Git repo? Um, Codec leaves the data in Git. I mean, it leaves it leaves the um, the files in Git. It only imports the tree logic and things like that. The analyzers can move the function definitions over, um, but it's it's it doesn't replace Git as a repository. Git right. is your repository. Um, the only reason why it um, moves the source code of the definitions over is just to make it more convenient to return them in queries as opposed to having queries just return pointers to the insides of files and have to sew that together later. Uh, but it does not import every file in Git as binary data. It does not import the blobs, for instance, at all. So it doesn't import the blobs, but you could still find out that a binary file exists by querying. Oh, absolutely. No, I mean, you can get the SHA and immediately call, you know, get cat file on it. And that's how it works to, to um, provide data to the analyzers. So it, the connectivity to Git, it's not like a one-way street. It can go completely back. You can obtain SHAs out of, you know, all the SHAs are retained in Codec. And you can go back to Git and say anything that you can say in Git about a SHA. So you could ask questions in Codec, get a bunch of results, and then use Git tools to um, do the grep job, for instance. You know, Git's great at that. So Codec doesn't try to compete there. You can go back and forth. 
are you guys modeling absolutely all the information in Git? I mean, for example, uh, in a Git repo, I might have, I mean, just to go like crazy stuff like local config or uh, tracking branches or like everything, everything. Uh, so the refs part of Git is an interesting problem because it's it's less first class than the the trees and of nodes and objects, um, and we do not do any ref importation right now. Um, in a, in a sense, that's sort of superimposed on the the fundamental Git model. That's saying, in my view of the world, I'm calling something something, and so it's not actual. Um, core data. It's not core information at all. And because it's so local, um, I don't know that you'd want to import it. Um, the tags would be nice. We don't we don't import them yet. So that's something I'd like to do. Gotcha. Um, and so, uh, you know, you've got this out there. People can do pull requests. So, you know, you, you, you say something you'd like to do. So it sounds like, um, uh, although, as I say, the code is out there and you're hoping to take uh, contributions you are planning to continue to enhance this for at least a little while. Is that? I want to. I want to move my personal effort up up a level and and to uh, write a bunch of example queries for people so they get an idea of what they can do with it. That's uh, probably what I'll do for the rest of today. Okay. Um, but uh, no, I, I would really like some contributors. Obviously, even the the closure analyzer is very primitive. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in the closure script. Uh, compiler that I did that just needs to be refactored somewhat to serve this job well, and that would be great. And I'd love to see you know people that want to do that to help make that smarter. Cool. So people can go to the to the repo uh, and they can look at the issues list and say, oh, that looks interesting, and and just send you a pull request. Yep. Fantastic. Um, that's very cool. I, myself, I kind of want to write the. Uh, 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 a uh, a thing that would um, allow you to hook in via GitHub so that it would automatically uh, you know update some datomic instance somewhere every time I pushed. I think that would be a nice hook to have. Yep, that's completely doable and would be great. Yeah, very cool. All right. Well, I know I said about 15 minutes ago that I wasn't going to take take up any more of your time. Then I asked you a whole bunch more questions. Um, so I, I, before we go, though, I want to make sure I give you a chance. If there's anything we didn't cover or things you'd like people to know about, that I give you a chance to to let people know about those things. Uh, no, I think it, we we finally got around to the tooling side. I mean that that's where I I'd, I'd love to see uh, some some more effort, and I'd like to help people out who are trying to um, incorporate talking to Codec from you know counterclockwise or other IDEs or from NREPL. Uh, I'd love to help help that stuff. So should they ask those questions on the Atomic mailing list, on Twitter, or how, how should they come find help? There's a Codec Google group. Okay. Awesome. Very good. Uh, anything else, Rich? Uh, no, that should be. Cool. Well, you know I have one more question for you, of course, which is uh, in a minute here we're going we're gonna to bring up the background music on the, on the way out, and uh, you're going to pick that song. So what should we play? Oh, boy. Well, how about something from... The Mars Volta. Okay. Uh, I'm I, I'm just picking a name at random here. The Widow. All right, awesome. We will, people are hearing that right now, and and while that's coming up in the background, I got to thank you again for coming on. This is a super cool project, and I really appreciate you uh, coming on and let us know about it. I, I really hope that people take this and run with it, because I think like a lot of 
the reaction. I mean, the reason I wanted to do this podcast today was I looked at the reaction on Twitter, and it was really just like, oh, my God, this is so cool. I want to work with this. And uh, having looked at the model a little bit, like through the blog post, it really does look like it's going to be pretty easy. And I use that word intentionally to, um, to like, take this and make it do even more cool things. So I'm, I'm pretty psyched. Um, so really appreciate you coming on and, and talking to us about it. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And I hope we can get you back again sometime to talk about uh, Kodak or Datomic or whatever you surprise us with next. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Rich. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been Think Relevance, the podcast. From an hour of open soul.